you speak, it's our privilege to listen and help us to fall in line with what you say. The challenge that faces us every week is to come before your word and lay down our prejudices, lay down our thoughts, and the challenge before us is to say to you, God, you change me, change my thoughts, shape me. I don't want to shape your word. So I want to be shaped this morning. I want to be changed this morning. And that's what we need. So God, I just ask that you'd work. Holy Spirit, lead us, shine a big spotlight on Jesus for us this morning. And I trust that that's going to happen. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Every Bible verse is in context. Every verse that's in the whole Bible is in a chapter. And a chapter is in a book of the Bible. And the book is in a testament of the Bible, new or old. And then it's in the entirety of the Bible. And a lot of times we need to, if we're going to rightly understand the word, we need to both take steps back and get kind of the bigger scope, and then take steps forward and look at the details of the words themselves. We need to back up, and we need to kind of lean in. And so context this morning is going to be really helpful for us. We need to remember, as we get into John 15, the Gospel of John as a whole. If you remember the very first sermon that I preached, it was out of John chapter 20, and it was about the purpose statement of the entire book. John tells us, I write to you these things, many other signs Jesus did in the presence of uh, the disciples, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. There were many signs that were done, but, but John was a curator of specific signs, and he did this for a specific purpose, that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing in him, we would have life in his name. So the whole book, that's the context of the book. Now, belief in the Gospel of John, that you may believe Jesus is the Christ. Belief is a central theme in the Gospel of John. Now, we need to remember this, because belief in John is both true and false. There is true belief and false belief in the Gospel of John. John chapter 2 says something very specific about this. John chapter 2, at the end of the chapter... It says that many believed in Jesus Christ, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. So the word believe is used for the group that Jesus did not entrust himself to. It was not a true belief, it was a false belief, but the word belief was used. They believed, but they didn't really believe. And then in John chapter 8, something similar happens. Jesus turns and he talks to a group of people who believed in him. It says this, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. So this group really believed, or so it seems, believed. The word believe is used. But by the end of the discourse, this same group that believed in Jesus picked up stones because they did not like what he had to say to them. And they begin to pelt Jesus with these stones. It was not true belief. It wasn't saving belief. It could have been mental assent, thinking right things about God, but it wasn't true God-given faith. It sounded the same. It looked the same at first, but time, in time, it would tell 
that it was not true belief. So belief in the Gospel of John is really important. True belief and false belief. Likewise, today's passage tells us that there are two people that are in Christ. But only one is really in Christ. And time will tell who is really in Christ and who is really not in Christ. Like those who have false belief, there are people who are falsely, or at least appear to be, in Christ that are not actually in Christ. So who is truly in Christ? Well, the passage is going to say, those who are truly in Christ are those who abide with Him. Abide in Him. The word abide, and I'm going to use this interchangeably, means to stay. Those who stay with Jesus, who don't walk away, those who stay with Jesus are those who are in Christ, who are really with Him. Look at verse 1 in chapter 15. I'll tell you what, I'm going to do the, what I always do. I'm going to read the 17 verses and then we'll start from, chapter, from verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, there it is, in me, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask in my Father's name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Okay, out of the gate, there are two important verses that we need to keep in mind as we read through this passage and as I preach through this passage. First, in verse 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Does anybody need a joy refill this morning? I'm glad you're here. You're about to get one. That's why, he that's why he says this. I want my joy to be in you. I'm going to tell you some things, and I'm telling you these things so that my joy, Jesus' very joy, the happiest being who ever lived on the face of the earth, his joy would be in you and that your joy would be full. Full. Not a little bit, half tank. Full. 
Now, sometimes we talk about the difference in happiness and joy. I've yet to meet the person who believes happiness means temporary pleasure. Okay, I'm not talking about temporary pleasure here. Happiness, I'm talking about real happiness, real joy. You're in for a treat this morning. That's what Jesus has to offer. And the second thing is in verse 17, when Jesus says, These things I command you so that you will love one another. Um, if you have a love deficit for people in here this morning, you're in the right place. Because Jesus is going to tell us this morning that, that for you to love one another, you need a few things. And I'm going to tell you some things that's going to help you love one another better. And so the challenge this morning is before us to, to hear and receive with joy. And then to turn to the person on our left and right and front and behind us and love them. We're in for a treat. Verse 1 and 2. I'm the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, several times, almost I think eight or nine times in the Old Testament, the vine was a common name for Israel. This language for those, for the Jewish hearers, they would have understood what Jesus was talking about. The vine and the branch, the vine dresser and the father. And Jesus kind of turns it a little bit and better interprets it and says this. I am the vine. I am the true vine. To be God's people has to do with an individual's association with him. So people are not the vine. People are in the vine, or put in the vine, grafted in the vine. Jesus is the vine. Israel is not the vine. Jesus is the vine. And in this passage, Jesus tells us the Father is the vine dresser. So the Father is going to take and do some things on this vine. Prune, add, graft in, take away, throw away. And we're told in verse 1, or in verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And this is absolutely 100% true. That every branch in Christ that does not bear fruit, they will be taken away. Pruned away. Throned away. But we have to ask the question, what does it mean to be in me? Because Jesus is consistent with the Gospel of John. Jesus' teaching here is consistent with this whole idea of belief. There are those who truly don't believe. They truly, really, rightly don't believe in John. And yet it, we are told in the Gospel of John that they believed. It wasn't true belief, but they believed. Time told, just like I introduced the sermon with this morning, time told the reality, told the truth that they really didn't believe. It was false belief. It wasn't true belief. And here, those who are truly not in Christ are described as being in Christ. And now the rest of the the passage is going to describe the difference between those who are truly in Christ and those who are not truly in Christ. Because some people who are associated with him, who we could call in Christ, are faking it. Think Judas. I heard a preacher talk about this this week online, just a sermon clip. Judas walked with Jesus. He did Jesus-like things. He learned from him, learned at his feet. Walked with him for three years, and he was faking it. He was stealing money from the money bags. He wasn't really with or in Christ. He was faking it. 
And so just like you can believe but not really believe, you can be in Christ but not really be in Christ. Everybody just looks and look, you're part of the visible church, you're doing Jesus-y things, you're praying every once in a while, you're publicly uh, moral, you're doing right things, but you're just faking it. You're not in Christ at all. And time will tell. The rest of the passage tells us how we can know and how you can know if you're truly in Christ or not. Those who don't bear fruit are not in Christ. Those who don't abide or stay with Jesus are not in Christ. Those who do bear fruit, those who are in Christ, bear fruit. And then the evidence that they're in Christ, truly in Christ, is that Jesus comes along and he prunes you. He shapes you. He forges you by fire. He shapes you. Pruning scissors to a branch. If you're a branch, I'd be thinking, please don't do this. That would hurt. Jesus trains us and he shapes us. Those who are truly in Christ are trained and disciplined in love by the Lord. Now, Judas has gone. Judas is gone already. They're still in the upper room. They're all gone. And Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, Already you are clean because the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch, it cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. And neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So he says to the disciples, okay, you're clean. Now Judas is gone. So he turns and talks to them. And he says to them, abide. Abide in me. Stay in me. Stay with me. Abide. You cannot bear fruit if you walk away from me. It's impossible. You cannot be a fruit bearer if you stop listening to Jesus' word. It's impossible. The independent life is a life that looks at everybody and it even looks at God and says, I've got this. And I, I think I even said it earlier, if you think you've got this and you don't need anybody, you will be the, the type of person who in time will have nobody. If you don't think you need anybody, you won't have anybody. Jesus tells them, you must abide, stay with me. And if you stay with me, this is how fruit bearing happens. He says to them, you can't, it is impossible for you to bear fruit unless you abide in me. And then at the end of verse 5, he says, for apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. It's fascinating that Jesus, two times in this passage, he says, abide in me and I in you. Jesus telling the disciples, stay with me and listen, I'm going to stay with you. It's not just going to be you abiding and staying with me. I am staying with you. I am present with you. But apart from this, if you turn, if you walk away... You will have no fruit, and you simply can't do anything. Uh, Jesus says a pretty bold statement that Americans and, and people across the globe hate. Just the, what it means to be human hates the words of Jesus here in this passage because he looks at every human being, not just the disciples, their representative, looks at every, every human being who's ever lived. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And specifically in this verse, and although it is true 
that apart from Jesus, a person can do nothing, like can't even breathe, can't even lift a stone to throw it at him, can do nothing. Jesus powered the very people who picked up stones to kill him. So it's true that you actually can't physically do anything, speak, move your hands, do this, do what I'm doing right now, apart from Jesus. Specifically, what he's talking about is good works, abiding, bearing fruit. Nobody can bear good fruit apart from Jesus. It's impossible. This speaks to the state of the human condition from Jesus' very words. There's not a single human being that can do anything good. It may externally look good. It may actually bring good. But because of the motive of the person doing it, it is impossible for anyone to do good apart from Jesus. Now it's easy for us to step back. It's easy for the skeptic to look at Jesus' words. Stomp internally. Scream and cry. And argue with him. But he is either liar, lunatic, or he's Lord and he's right. And he says to this world, you can do nothing good apart from me. Nothing. No human being can boast about doing anything good in the presence of God. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Now here's the reality about Jesus' words to the disciples. And as he's speaking to the disciples, it's representative, not just to the disciples, it's representative of all those who would one day follow him. There's going to be people who start off well, think the wheat and the tares. There's going to be people who appear to be walking with Jesus. They're on fire for the Lord. And in time, I remember growing up, and if just think back who was in your youth group if you were young or, you know, younger and you grew up in an on fire, on fire youth group. And think about who is a part of the churches that you've been a part of and friends that you knew that used to walk with the Lord and you just ask the question, where are they now? And you begin to write out names. How many? They really look like, man, they're in Christ. They're following the Lord, heart after God. Where are they now? Not loving Jesus. Not in church. Maybe even hostile to the faith. There's going to be people who stay, and there's going to be people who don't. There's going to be people who abide, and there's going to be people who walk away. They just simply don't stay with Jesus. They walk away. So Jesus begins to talk about those who don't stay with him. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide, so this is the person who doesn't stay with him, in me he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Those who don't stay, start with Jesus, but don't stay with Jesus, are thrown away. Do not expect, because you had experience, spiritual experience at camp, or prayed a sinner's prayer, or started off like the hare in the story, the tortoise in the hare, don't expect, because of that, because that you were once with Jesus, that you can walk away from Him and still have hope of heaven. No one should believe that or accept that. That they can say a prayer and kind of put this prayer in their back pocket, walk away with Jesus and walk away from His church and everything's good. Do not expect to find your way to heaven that way. 
Those who don't stay with Jesus and who die without having faith in Him have no hope of heaven. None. No hope. If you don't stay with Jesus, if you walk away, there is no hope for you. And friends, here's the hard part. For your friends and family that you know that went before you. This is a difficult reality that we need to think about because there are people in this world, as we think about those names that we could write down, I hope that there's a burden that rises up inside of us to think about those who have walked away from Jesus. And here's the truth about their souls. If they don't return, if their faith isn't proven to be real, if all they have is a prayer from camp, there is no hope of heaven for them. None. If they don't abide, there's no hope. The fate of these branches is the fate of those who start with Jesus but don't abide with Him. Metaphors are things that we try to explain, uh, to use to explain a greater reality. A metaphor is there because words don't do justice how bad judgment from God is. It's right and it's good. But this metaphor, these branches put together, thrown, and burned... The state of the branches it is the fate of those who start with Jesus but do not abide in Him. It's heavy. Um, Jesus' words will never be popular outside of the Christian faith. They just won't, ever. And the wrestle of the Christian is... <laughs> The wrestle of the Christian even is to look to Jesus' words and say, I believe that, every word of it. And not only do I believe it, I love it. And the areas that I don't love it, God, help me to love your word. The areas that confuse me, the areas that I understand, the areas that trouble me. God, if you say it, I just want to sit and say, yep, you're right. But then Jesus begins to speak to those who do abide in him. Verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus looks and, and he says to them, again, the representative of all those who had ever come to him or believe in him, if you abide in me, and if your words uh, and if, you, if, you're, if, if your words abide in me, if his words, Jesus' words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So those who don't abide, they're gathered with these branches and thrown away. But those who do abide, and his, if his words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And let me just ask a really pointed question for you and for myself. And I'm stealing this from somebody. I can't remember where I got this from and then I kind of added to it. Let me just ask this question. If God answered every prayer of yours this last week, how many people would have been saved? Or would your life just be a lot better? Because if Jesus' words abide in you, and if you're staying in proximity with Jesus, your wishes will be shaped by Jesus, not your fancy. 
What do you want? You want, you want God to be honored and people to be saved? Or you just want a comfortable life? You know, we can caveat this away. Ask whatever your wish. If Jesus' words abide in you, and you're abiding in him, ask and he'll do it. It's plain. Are you asking him for stuff? For kingdom advancement? For people to meet Jesus as we gather here on Sunday mornings? For your sons and daughters to know him? Spurgeon said, when your will is God's will, you will have your will. Ask whatever you wish. When his words are abiding in you and you're abiding in him, and he'll do it. I'd be willing to bet everyone in here has a lot of answered prayers. And everybody in here, when we go to ask the Lord for things, and when we go to, to petition him, for some reason think, eh, he... He's probably not going to do this. When your will is God's will, you will have your will. And then he says this about those who are abiding in him and asking and praying and God's bringing these answers to prayer. In verse 8, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And this verse is so key to this passage. Because fruit bearing proves discipleship. Staying Proving to be a disciple. Those who are truly in Christ, those who are true disciples, are those who stay with Jesus. And I want to appeal to you today. Stay with Him. Be resolved in your mind and your heart. I am with Jesus all the days of my life. I will follow Him and trust Him. And if I have to, I will die for Him, suffer for Him, love Him. Be joyful for him. He is mine and I am his. I'm not going anywhere. I will not quit. I'm with him. No matter what, I'm at Jesus' feet. All the days of my life. Resolved. I'm not going back. He's mine, and I'm his. Friends, this idea that you can have Jesus, he's your savior and a lordship, there's big controversy. He is your lord or he is nothing to you. If you say he's your savior and you listen to your savior's words and you say, nah, be resolved no matter what. I'm following him. Nothing will get in my way of humbly serving him the rest of my life. He keeps going. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And by the way, this is the whole point. What proves whether you're in Christ or not in Christ is that you bear much fruit and so prove to be his disciples. Like this is the qualifier. Just like with belief and false belief, if you pick up stones to kill them, you don't really believe. Even though the word was put on you, you believe. If you don't bear fruit, you're not really in him. That's the whole point. So prove to be his disciples by bearing much fruit. 
And so if you say, I love Jesus, and there's the opposite of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, evidence of the Holy Spirit, if all of that is the opposite, you don't love anybody, there's no peace, there's no joy, you're not, you don't love God's people, you don't love Jesus, you just love that he gave you a ticket into heaven, you're proving to not be his disciples. You're not in him. He keeps going, and he says some things that begin to sound the opposite of joy, but remember, Jesus says, I tell you these things that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So there's a lot of potent information here for us that should bring us a great amount of joy. Verse 9, as the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Stay in it. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Stay in his love. Abide in my love. Keep his commandments. Love God and love others and love others as I have loved you. Those who have been loved and saved by Jesus, they turn to Jesus. And they say to you, say to him, Jesus, I'm going to obey you. You saved me. Just tell me what to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, okay, I'll do that. Go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, there's my life's mission. Okay, I'm going to keep your commandments. My allegiance to, is to you, Jesus. Whatever you want from me, I will do it. I trust you. And if I only claim to love Jesus, but have no intention on obeying him or staying with him, then according to this verse, we cannot suppose that we have the love of God on our side. The Christian works hard, serves Jesus, works with his hands, his hands even to the bone if he or she has to, gives their very life to be burned at the stake for Jesus, offers himself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, is willing to gladly suffer for Jesus' name and for his glory. We abide. We stay with him. But isn't this all works-based stuff? Just think with me. I mean, really, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Isn't this just work makes, works based? I mean, this is what the whole, the whole point of the gospel is that Jesus did it for us. It is finished. There's no condemnation. Now I'm going to hear this sermon. And it's not, my joy's not even full. I have this weight upon me thinking if I don't do the stuff I'm supposed to be doing, God's not going to love me anymore. I want you to consider three verses, and then we're going to finish, boom, with a, with a punch. I don't know, not really a physical punch. Finish with a, a boom, a bang. It's going to be good. Three verses to consider. Because I don't want you to suppose keeping God's commandments, that Jesus' commandments, or abiding in Jesus, 
I don't want you to run the risk of reading this and thinking that that is upon you. We're going to hear some weird verses here. And I want you to think with me. Because who is it that's called to keep the commandments of God? You. Me. We really are, we have to abide. We have to stay. We have to keep the commandments. Colossians chapter 1 verse 28 and 29. Here's what Paul says. You don't have to turn here because I'm going to go through here pretty quick. Him we proclaim, Jesus. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. Paul, toil, work. For this I work. For this I get out there and if I am shipwrecked, for this I struggle and I toil, their maturity. For this I work to present everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. What? Paul, here's what you should have said. For this I toil, for this I struggle with all my energy that I have. I work and I struggle. That's not what he says. For this I struggle, this I toil with all his, Jesus, energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul credits his work, his toil, his struggle, not to himself. Because after all, if you don't abide in Jesus, you can do nothing. God is doing something here. Paul is teaching us something here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9 and 10. Ryan was talking to me about this this week. For I am the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Who worked? Paul says he did. I worked harder than any of them. But hold on. Yet it was not I. Yet it was not I. But the grace of God that is within me. Paul has the righteous audacity to say that all of my work wasn't my work. It was his work. <laughs> I mean, I, shipwrecked. I mean, all, all that I've done, the great, I worked harder than any of them. Late nights. I mean, persecuted, tortured, beat with a stick, stoned. I worked harder than all of them, studious. I studied day in and day out. But it wasn't me. It was the grace of God that's in me. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Who's that commanded to? Believers. Us. Work it out. For it is God who works in you. Both to will, so the will to obey and to work for Him, the will to work out your salvation, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So work it out, and oh, lest you boast, that's God. When you work it out, that's God. That's not you. That's God. Yeah, but I'm getting up in the morning and studying the Bible. No, you're not. That's God. 
Yeah, but I'm growing in humility, which no humble person actually says. No, you're not. That's God. But I'm joyfully, like, I'm joyfully like the apostles being persecuted or even in, in what people are experiencing around the globe. And there's still joy and resolve. I will not quit. I love Jesus and I'll love him even if they beat me to death. That's God at work in you. This is amazing. And it's all, apparently in verse 11, we're told these things all about keeping his commandments for our joy. Maybe it is as we resolve to keep the commandments of God and to posture ourselves in front of Jesus and say, Jesus, whatever you want, we then know we're experiencing his presence and power because he's empowering us to follow him. It's not us, it's him at work in us. And all of this is for our joy. If we stay with Jesus in verse 11, if we abide in him, and if there's fruit that's being bore in our life, bared, bored in our life, fruit being bored in our life, that's kind of weird, bearing, whatever. If we're bearing fruit, if you have a heart that trusts in him, if you're committed to obeying and honoring him, if you stay with him, if you have a heart that trusts in him, if you're committed to obeying him and honoring him, his joy will be in you and your joy will be full. Now that's an amazing thing, friends. Life and joy is not found in self-centeredness and getting our own will. Life and joy is not found in self-centeredness and getting our own will and our way, what we want. Life and joy is found by proximity to Christ and submission to him. You want joy? Turn to Jesus. And follow him all the days of your life. It keeps going. For the sake of time. This chapter. I'm missing a lot. So you need to get in the word and study it. But I'm going to work through this quickly. Verse 12 through 15. Jesus tells us some amazing things. That we're to love one another as he has loved us. He says greater love is no one than this. That a man lay down his life for, for his friends. And you're my friends if you do what I command. So love one another as he has loved us. Jesus laid down his life for his friends. Jesus' friends are those who obey him. We, those who are in Christ, us in this room, we are his friends. Unless we sit back and think that it's all about our ability and we start feeling the weight of on our back of fruit bearing. I got to start bearing, and we start doing fruit inspection and get all worried out of here. Am I bearing fruit? Am I bearing fruit? Am I really in Christ? Am I really in Christ? Am I doing enough? Am I working hard enough? Am I loving him enough? Well, we get this grace bomb that comes our way. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask in the Father's name, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And these things I command you so that you will love one another. Je Jesus looks at him, you didn't choose me. And if I was one of the apostles, I mean, if anybody could have said that I chose Jesus, it's the ones who left everything to follow him, who literally dropped the nets and said, Jesus, you're more valuable than, uh, than my livelihood. If anybody could have boasted about, I chose to follow Jesus. It would have been them, and them being representative of all believers. They're leaving everything to follow Jesus, and Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I'm doing something in you here, apostles. 
I'm doing something in you. Jesus chose them for this. And to this day, we can argue all we want with Jesus about that. And Jesus just looks at those who stomp their feet and don't like and want to say, Jesus, I chose you. And he just looks right back at him and says, no, you didn't. I chose you. I chose you. But that's not all he did because we see something else that he did. He chose them. And Spurgeon, I love Spurgeon again. He said, if God had not chosen me, I would have never chosen him. And that's the fate of every Christian and every believer and throughout this world and every non-believer. If God had not chosen us, we would have never chosen him. And if you're in this room today, and if you've come to him and believed in him, it's because God chose you. He didn't just choose them, he appointed them. And this is fascinating because this word appointment has with it to cause or to purpose. This is him doing something. So he is then appointing them. They are the passive. He is the active agent in this passage. He chose them and then appointed them that they should bear fruit and that they should abide in him. And that whatever they asked, they would receive in prayer. They're appointed that they specifically should go and bear fruit. So you work your hand to the bone. You stay and you fight for Christ. You live for him. You obey him. And boldly declare with the Apostle Paul, it was not me. It was the grace of God in me. He appointed me for this. And he is causing me to do this. And all of this, so this idea, he saved you and he appointed you for this. If you're in Christ, you're in him and you love him and you know he's chosen you. Listen, you will abide and you will stay with him because he appointed you to this. He is the cause of your abiding and he is the cause of your staying and he is the cause of your commandment keeping. You're in him, you're secure. If you're in him and if you're not, all nonsense and you walk away you just don't stay with him you don't like his words and so you go and you walk away and in verse 17 all of this is so that these things I command you so that you would love one another abiding fruit bearing prayers being answered all of this is that we would love one another staying close to Jesus doesn't allow us to say things like this I love Jesus but I don't love the church that's nonsense to those who are abiding in Jesus. Because all of this about staying with Jesus and abiding in him is about this, so that we would love one another. Who's he ta- he's not talking about the disciples in the world. He's talking about the disciples and the disciples, representative of us. Abide, stay with him, and you'll love each other. You'll love one another. You'll stop gossiping about each other and stop being in rivalry against one another. And you'll, you'll love each other, and you'll lay down your conditions that you lay down before you like each other. So that we would love one another. This whole thing, abiding in Jesus, is not me oriented. It's others oriented for the glory of God. Fruit bearing and prayer is for the purpose of loving each other for the glory of God. I struggled with application here. Really did. I try to get some application points typically. Implication points, rather. I prayed it two weeks ago, and I've asked the Holy Spirit to do this again. God knows you better than I know you. And as I preach this, the Holy Spirit is doing something in you and challenging you in some areas that he's not challenging you in some areas. 
But believers, we respond to Jesus. We don't just, those nudgings of the Holy Spirit, we don't just suppress them and say, uh-uh. By the grace of God, we repent, we come to Him, we cling to Him, trusting that He looks at us, He said, hey, this isn't you, buddy. Son, daughter, this isn't you. Even right now, this feeling inside of you, this isn't coming from you. This is me. This conviction you have, it's impossible for you to have it if I didn't put it there. You're mine. And if you're in here and you're like, no, none, none of this is me. If you're just faking it, then I'd ask you to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. Because if you don't abide with him, if you don't stay in him, if you've walked away, you have no hope of heaven. None. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would, uh, God, you work.